Well, hello, Heritage. Welcome all of you here at Rock Island. Also want to greet our family out at Bendorf, our family at QC West, and those joining us online. Thanks for being here. It's great to be back, but I am really grateful for the leaders who taught over the last couple weeks. I love it when we can have an opportunity to multiply leadership. There's value in sitting under the teaching of others. And whenever we can take those unplugged moments to speak to more specific campus realities, those are hugely impactful. But one of the other things I love about those moments when we give other communicators a chance to speak is there's this stretching, growing opportunity that is really about multiplying leadership. And it's essential that we do that if we're going to accomplish the mission God has given us. So we'll continue to make room for people to learn and grow in a safe environment because when we stop doing that, then we're no longer loving and leading like Jesus. So we'll continue to raise up leaders at all levels so more people can know Jesus Christ. And I'm glad that I'm back in the opportunity to have the teaching role here with you today. Now, I've got to tell you, though, that the sermon is not a typical sermon. It's kind of a mix. It's a mix of sermon and family conversation. So if you're a guest with us, so glad you're here. You picked almost an ideal weekend to be here because you get the best of both worlds. You get to see how we pursue God, but also how we respond to what he's doing in our lives. And so I encourage you just to sit back, listen in, and get to know a little bit more about who we are. And if you are a regular member of the Heritage family, I want to invite you to lean in today because this is one of those additional moments for us to stay in step with God and hear what he's doing, because he's doing some pretty cool things, and I'm looking forward to sharing some of those with you in just a little bit. But let's do this first. I'd like to invite you to identify a time where you've had to wait for something. Identify a time where you had to wait for something. We've all had to do it. We've all had to wait for something or someone. Can you think of a time? I see some of you are getting the, I had to wait for you to get here on time today elbow. We all had to wait for something or someone at some point. And, and honestly, that waiting is not always easy. It can be downright hard at times. And we've all seen people wait poorly, right? The people who tap, pace, wring their hands, check their watch. It's kind of the environment that years ago when the fathers had to wait in the waiting room for news of the delivery of their child. That was a place a lot of that happened. But men, we now know that's no longer the paradigm. We have the privilege of standing beside our brides, lovingly holding their hands while they literally crush every bone in that hand with some inexplainable superhuman strength. Amen? Look, we all are waiting for something. We've all had to wait for something. And that waiting room environment in the hospital is one of those places that's marked by that, especially years ago. It reminds me of the story of three men who were in that waiting room in a local hospital waiting for news of the delivery of their children. When a nurse came out, she approached the first person, the first man, and said, Sir, I want to just congratulate you. You are the proud father of twins. And he was ecstatic. He jumped up. He hugged the nurse. and said, This is amazing. It's wonderful. And you know what's kind of cool about this? I work for the Minnesota twins, and now I've got twins. And he followed the nurse back to see his wife. Well, about an hour later, the same nurse came back and went to the second gentleman and said, Sir, I just want to congratulate you. You are the proud father of triplets. The man sat back in shock. But then he jumped up, ran around the room, hugged the nurse and said, Incredible. I love it. I've got three little babies. And what's kind of just fantastic is I work for the 3M company and now I've got triplets. And as he started to follow that nurse back to see his wife, the third man got up and started to leave. Yeah, and and the nurse saw him, and she said, Oh, sir, what are you doing? He said, I'm out of here. 
She said, sir, you can't afford to leave. Your wife is about to give birth. He said, lady, based on what's happening here today, I can't afford to stay. I work for 7-Up. <laughs> oh, man. Waiting can be hard, right? It can be difficult, even confusing. And we can make poor decisions in that waiting as we speculate and, and stress and worry about what might happen. But how we wait is important. How we wait matters. And we just came through the Christmas season, Advent season, which is a time of expectant waiting and preparation. And, and how we wait matters. We can wait actively or passively. We, we can wait with anticipation or with dread. We can wait making the most of every opportunity or trying to avoid things like the announcement of seven babies. How we wait matters. And we're all waiting for something. But have you ever wondered what God's waiting for? Maybe you've prayed a prayer at some point where you've asked God to, to do something, to show up, to heal, to provide, to lead, to answer. And you have thought or said, God, what are you waiting for? Maybe you can relate to that. I know I can. But that's not quite what I'm talking about. Because that moment is still more about what we're wanting and waiting for. And that's not what I mean. No, what I'm talking about is what is God waiting for? What is God waiting for in your life? Because no matter who you are or where you're at, it basically falls into two arenas. First is, if you are not in relationship with God, you're not walking in relationship with Him, then He is waiting for you to come to Him through His Son, Jesus Christ, to be reconciled in relationship to Him and be all you can be. If you have already made that decision, you are a follower of Jesus, then He is waiting for you to live a life of obedience and to come alongside Him and helping others find that relationship. No matter who you are, those are the only two places. The only two arenas that that question is answered in your life. He's waiting for us. He's waiting for you and me to come and to obey. In fact, it was Peter, and I find it fascinating that it was Peter because Peter was the most impatient and outspoken disciple Jesus had. But Peter once wrote these words in 2 Peter. He said, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. This is God waiting, not wanting any of us, those who walk with God and those who do not, to live lesser lives apart from him in this world or the next. And that's huge, incredibly significant. You know, there's a, a reality that if we understood, we might be able to wait better and navigate life differently. And it's, I just want to just tell you about it. It's the, the idea that when God takes us to a place we've never been, it's often to make us into someone we, ne we never thought we could be. Let me say that again. In fact, why don't you just read this with me? Let's read this together at all of our locations. When God takes us to a place we've never been, it's often to make us into something we never knew 
we could be. This is true for you whether you follow Jesus or not. How we wait, how we live matters. Yet we can often live and wait poorly. Tempted to leave the waiting room. Tempted to step towards some other reality in life. Tempted to follow something else in life. But how we wait matters. And when God takes us to a place we've never been, it's often because he's trying to lead us and make us into something we never thought we could be. It's true for you today, no matter where you're at in your journey. Now, when we don't step into those moments with him and we wait poorly, we miss out on God's best in our life. We miss out on everything he has for us, but there is a way out in those moments. And that way is Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life, and if you obey me, I will free you. But that is linked to obedience. There's this piece of obedience is, is part of the path to a full life. In fact, you can think about it this way, that obedience doesn't make us right with God. Obedience doesn't make us right with God, but it's essential for keeping us there. Look, it is Jesus who makes us right with God. It is a gift. Salvation is a gift. It is not by works. So we are made right before the Father by Jesus Christ. Obedience doesn't make us right, but obedience, once right before the Father through Jesus, keeps us in that right relationship as we follow him. It's after Jesus restores us that obedience plays a huge part in whether we remain in relationship with the Father as we should be. Jesus talked about this in John chapter 8. He said this. He said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It's really just that easy. But here's where we get tripped up, where we start to rub against truth or resist obedience. When we do that, we develop spiritual calluses. Think about the calluses on your hand or on your foot. When, when we rub against something, that friction does what to our skin? It hardens it, right? And it starts to become resistant. And then we lose our sensitivity in that spot, and the sensations aren't what they used to be because the callus is now there. And the same thing happens with you and I. When we rub against truth and we resist obedience, we develop more and more calluses in our life. And we no longer track in relationship to God. We no longer have the sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. And we struggle to wait well. And we struggle to obey. And if you've been living in a place of disobedience in your life, any place, big or small, there is a spiritual callus. And that is affecting your ability to follow and to love and relate and wait well. And if that is the case... And today's the day to stop that, to stop resisting truth and resisting obedience, to step into obedience. But in order for that to happen, we have to cry out to God and say, Lord, change me. Because it's not our obedience that makes us right before him. It's the, it's the power of God through Jesus Christ that transforms us. And we have to say, Lord, change me. And the sad reality for many of us is that we are really just one bold move away from a breakthrough. One bold move like that to a spiritual breakthrough. Those bold moves of faith change our trajectory in our lives. They change who we are. They open the door to more. In fact, bold moves of faith are the catalyst for breakthrough moments. Bold moves of faith are the catalyst for breakthrough moments. 
Many of us are just one bold move away from a breakthrough. And it's that bold move that will be the catalyst of that change. And it may be something small like stopping a habit or stopping an unhealthy relationship. Or maybe something else like something big like starting a relationship with Jesus or risking big for God. But we're just one bold move away from that thing, that next reality. And bold moves of faith are the catalyst of breakthrough moments. I mean, this happened at a number of occasions in Jesus' conversations and interactions with people. At many times when he talked with people and interacted with them, this was somewhere a key factor in that journey. In fact, talk about when he healed the ten lepers. He sent them off and only one came back to worship him after they were healed. You talk about the rich young man who came to Jesus saying, look, I've done all this stuff, I've got all this stuff, but I feel like something's missing. He says, yeah, you lack one thing, go sell your stuff. And he walks away sad because he couldn't release his possessions. One bold move away. Or take blind Bartimaeus who sat outside of Jericho. And Bartimaeus steps in bold moves and it changes everything for him. In fact, that's where I want to settle in for just a few moments today. And if you've got your Bible, you can turn or click to Mark chapter 10. We're going to have those verses up here on the screen. They're also in your sermon note guide. But we're picking up this story uh, with Jesus and his disciples on the move. And it's shortly after that conversation with the rich young ruler who walked away sad. But we find Bartimaeus outside of Jericho. And starting at verse verse 46 is where we're going to read. So then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples together with a large crowd were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called to the man, Cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. Wow, what a great question. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Man, that's a, that's a cool story. It's miraculous. And I think many of us are wanting and waiting for God to do the miraculous in our life, but until we make a bold move of faith, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. See, Bartimaeus had a few key moments in his journey. When he started crying out to Jesus was one. When, when he continued and persisted in crying out to Jesus, when people told him to be quiet and shush. When he threw aside his cloak and jumped up. And I envisioned him running to Jesus, stumbling and tripping and bumping into people because the dude was blind. And then when he answered Jesus' question and made the ask, each of those were bold moves. But what made them powerful and impactful was his faith, that he believed. He demonstrated as he called out. He demonstrated it as he jumped up. He demonstrated it as he ran to him and as he made the ask. Even Jesus said in verse 52, he said, go, your faith has healed you. 
Look, bold moves of faith are the catalysts of breakthrough moments. And here's an interesting reality to that, that those same moves and actions can become powerless and impotent if we think it has anything to do with our strength, our ability, or our power, instead of his strength, his ability, and his power. It was true for Bartimaeus, and it's true for us as individuals and as a church. I need a volunteer today to help me with this next part, and I've recruited the help of Adriana, and like to invite her to join me up on the platform as we move to this next thing, and invite you to give her a hand. Welcome, Adriana. Come on over here to this side of the table. Here's your microphone. I need you to use that and go ahead and introduce yourself to the congregation. I'm Adriana. Nice. Good. That works. Okay, so you never really know what you're volunteering for, but uh, here we're just going to get into it. Thanks for volunteering. Do you know what this is in here? Do you know what that is? Yes or no? Yeah. You do? What is it? Yeah, go ahead and use the microphone. It's a Klondike bar. Yeah, it is a Klondike bar. Excellent. Now, I want to ask you a question. Do you happen to know what that question is? What would you do for one? What would you do for a Klondike bar? Exactly. Exactly. Now listen, would you right now, right here, sing a song for this Klondike bar? No. No. (laughs) Would you right here, right now, stand on your head for this Klondike bar? Probably not. Do you not like Klondike bars? No. No? Hmm. Well, would you, listen, would you give me $5 for this? Maybe for my brother, yeah. Oh, what a loving sister. That's great. Would you give me your shoes? No. No? Okay. Well, that's all right, because you don't like Klondike bars, you probably wouldn't do a whole lot for it. But listen, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to make you do anything silly or goofy. But I do want to reward your bold move of being willing to volunteer. All right? And here's how I'm going to do it. I want to give you a pack of Klondike candy bars. They do exist. <laughs> Not only for that, for rewarding you for your bold move, but I'm going to give you this one for you, and I'm going to give you the second one so you can have some fun with somebody else, maybe your brother. Okay. All right? Here you go. Thank you for volunteering. Give Adrian a hand. Look, you might be sitting there going, hmm, what would I have done? Maybe I would have said yes, maybe I would have said no. That's all fine, well and good. But let me change the question slightly from what would you do for a Klondike bar to what would you do for more people to know Jesus? What would you do for more people to know Jesus? Look, we are a church that follows a God who has a global mission for us. He's a global God. He's given us a global task. Uh, it's for the whole world. In fact... When Jesus spoke in in Acts 1.8, he said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the very ends of the earth. And when he said that, he acknowledged that there's an international part to our mission, but also a regional reality and a local reality. And for us as a church, our local reality is the Quad Cities, where roughly 400,000 people live, work, play, and relate. 400,000. About half of them say that they are connected to some religious institution or organization. Half. Not all Christian either. Which means half declare no connection at all. 
So conservatively, roughly 200,000 people within our primary mission field are not walking in relationship to Jesus. It's a big task because our task is not only to love and serve those who don't know Jesus, but to love and serve those who do, all 400,000. This is our mission field and our task, and, and it will take some bold moves over the next three, five, ten years for us to make significant impact in these areas. We seek to do that as we multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. As we multiply disciples, leaders, and churches, we'll start to reach and serve and love those folks. We seek to multiply the, those disciples, leaders, and churches as we live loved and linked and what? Sent. This is our vision. As we live loved and linked and sent, then we multiply disciples, leaders, and churches, and we will impact the 400,000 of the Quad Cities and then out, ripple out regionally and internationally. This is what God has called us to do. And it's big. And it will require that we do two things. We multiply and that we steward. It will require that we multiply into new places, new campuses, church plants, reaching new people, more people. Our goal is not to get bigger. Our goal is to go further. We're trying to advance the kingdom and take the name of Jesus further. And so that means we will have to multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. But we also need to steward. We need to steward what we have, ministries that are ongoing, people in a relationship in our community now in the discipleship journey. We need to steward those opportunities. We also need to honor all of our commitments, which include our indebtedness. We need to be moving towards eliminating our indebtedness as a church, paying off our mortgage. It is not our goal as a leadership team to remain in an ongoing state of indebtedness, but to find financial freedom so that we can realign those resources more and more towards increasing multiplication and further stewardship. When we're talking about these realities, I'm really talking about what was and is and is to come. I'm talking about what's, what's known, what's now, and what's next. And as we process through the realities of now, of, of the known now and next, and we see this reality of the vision in front of us and the mission God's given us, we can estimate in, this, in the early, early first stages of what we're doing that it's roughly going to cost about $10 million to begin to move forward in this stewardship and multiplication reality. Now you may be thinking, Sean, that's really big. That's a lot of money. In fact, that's probably just impossible improbable. What if I told you it wasn't? What if I showed you how it was not only possible, but probable and realistic? You see, we serve the God who owns a cattle on a thousand hills. He is Jehovah Jireh. He is our provider, and he can provide any and all resources we need to step obediently with him. And he can do it any number of ways. But what if he wants to do this in this initial season through us, out of our obedience as we wait well? Think about it this way. There are roughly 4,000 people who call Heritage home, who, who regularly attend throughout the course of a year. If those 4,000 people just set aside an extra $10 per week, for some that would be a stretch, for others not a stretch at all. But if they all, all those individuals set aside an extra $10 a week, and we did that, that would be automatically $40,000 on any given weekend, additional. If we did that for 52 weeks, that would be $2,080,000. If we did that, for example, over the course of five years, 
well then we would have an additional $10.4 million to invest towards multiplication and stewardship in accomplishing the mission that God has given us. It is not only not impossible, it's probable, especially with God. What are you willing to do for more people to know Jesus? What would you do so more people could know Jesus? I once heard somebody say that we often or overestimate what we can do in a year and underestimate what can be done in 10 years. And I think there's some truth to that statement, but I also think there's a layer that goes beyond when it comes to the church because I think often in the church we underestimate what God could do in both. One in 10 dollars in years. Uh, and I don't ever want to underestimate what God can do with $10 or $10 million. Look, what God has called us to do is clear in his word. He's asking us to step boldly, that, that bold move of faith that leads to that kind of breakthrough that we need to see or he wants to see in our church family and in our communities around us. But we need to steward and multiply to do that. And in order for us to steward and multiply well, we've got to deal with the, the known, the now, and the next. Let's just consider the known part. Known is where we steward, have that like honoring of commitments and we, we do things like eliminate our indebtedness. Our current indebtedness as a church is roughly $4.7 million. And we need to move towards financial freedom. And that's why when we start talking about giving towards the vision, it is our intent to start initially with a minimum of every dollar that goes towards the vision, at least a quarter, will go towards eliminating our indebtedness. This is essential for becoming more and more healthy and, and, and continuing to steward and multiply moving forward. So as we move forward and we give towards vision, we give towards the vision fund, a quarter, at least a quarter of every dollar will go towards eliminating that debt so that we can have the financial freedom we need to move forward as good stewards and multiply. In addition to that, moving to the, the now reality, the now reality is where we steward all of our opportunities as we connect, as we grow, as we serve, as we give, and as we tell. Inviting people into relationship here, inviting people to know Jesus, to gather and worship, all that connect, grow, serve, give, tell is part of living well in the now. And that's where we meet needs, it's where we continue to refine our ministries, but it really has that also that giving component. Here's another interesting stat. Our church year runs from May to April. So in May 13 to May 14, we had a budget that we missed by 10%. So when we started planning for the May 14 to 15 budget, as we looked at it, we said we needed a minimum of where that budget was the year before, and we knew that was a 10% jump. And I even came and shared with us as a church family, look, this is a minimum starting point. We know it's bold, but we're going to step towards it. And as we stepped into the new year in a senior leader transition with a new leader, we stepped into our cardiac arrest series, and not only did we see giving go up to that 10%, but to exceed it by 8%. Giving jumped 18%. Only God can do that through the faithfulness of his people. And over the last eight months, we've seen that just kind of leak and fade, and that's totally normal, but we got to re-engage in our faithfulness to tithe because if we don't do that, we're not going to move from now to next. It inhibits our ability to go to next. And that next reality is where we chase and pursue what God's called us to do. We multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. And it's the rest of that $10 million so that we can continue to advance the kingdom regionally, internationally, and locally. 
Look, God is calling us to increasingly raise the influence of Heritage Church in these quad cities and beyond, so much so that it would significantly matter if we weren't here. He's calling us to that kind of impact. And the vision he has for us is big. And we need God to show up as we seek to do what he has asked. This journey will require a long-haul approach. It will require deep relationships, deep roots, deep commitments, but it will lead to generations of impact. And it starts with initial steps. Initial steps. To change these cities, we need to reach people in neighborhoods. We're not going to change cities by reaching cities. We're going to change cities by reaching people in neighborhoods. Through bold moves of faith, both individually and corporately, as a church. That's one of the reasons why this past fall, knowing that God was asking Vida Nueva to be strategically repositioned for greater impact, that we started looking for a place to do that. And as we did that, the Erickson School Building came up on the radar, and we started processing, could this be the thing? We started leaning into it, and you know what God did shortly before Christmas? God did what only He could do. He positioned us to pursue that building at an auction. Get this, where we were the only bidders. Yeah. And we were able to win that auction for the minimum bid of $50,000. Only God can do that. Put on top of that, it's with nearly all of its contents. And our district a couple months ago said, you know what, we'll give you $50,000 towards this project, whatever it is. Our God gave us the building. Only he could do that. Look, bold moves of faith are the catalyst for breakthrough moments. And we do it wisely. We do it in submission to him. We do it through prayer and fasting. And he is on the move. And there's still a few more pieces to go. In fact, the school board meets this week on the 13th to finalize us and approve us as the buyers. So be praying about that. And I'll let you know how that goes. But I just want to take a moment to understand the magnitude of what happened there. God facilitated something for us in response to bold moves of faith. There's still more work to be done. There, there's planning to be done. There's retrofit and repair. And there's, there's a several hundred thousand dollars that we will need to, to raise alongside of the broader vision to facilitate the, the Erickson retrofit and the, the movement of Vida Nueva into that place to reach new people. And God has brought that building before us, has brought the Vida Nueva move up to the forefront. But listen, it is only one expression of the greater vision. It's one expression. We are one church in many locations. <laughs> And the Erickson School Building is going to be one of those new locations where hundreds, if not thousands of people will come to know Jesus because of his people at work there, living loved and linked and sent. These are exciting times. In fact, I want to put something out there on your radar. On your calendar, April 26th. April 26th, we're going to gather in the spring to, to gather as one church in one place at one time to celebrate 50 years of ministry in the Quad Cities. It's our 50th birthday this spring, and we're going to celebrate. We're going to celebrate what God has done and look towards what God is doing. And so put it on your calendars. April 26th, the afternoon, Sunday afternoon, we're going to gather in the iWireless Center as one church in one location at one time with one God, one mission, one vision. And we're going to worship. So make sure you save that date to be part of that. Look, I started our time saying that God was doing some pretty cool things around our church family. If I even go back to the transition of senior leadership, the transition of a leader after 40 plus years to do that, to bring in a new guy, 
with no major issues, only God can do that. To step into a new year after a 10% shortfall in budget and say, here's what we need, this is what God's asking us to do and see an 18% jump, only God can do that. To pursue a location to reach more people in the name of Jesus, to secure the Erickson building, the way it happened in a way that can only be explained by the fingerprints of God, only Him. And to see every week, week in and week out, more and more people making first-time decisions for Jesus through the ministries of Heritage Church. Only God can do that. These are exciting times because our God is on the move. And if he is stirring your heart, if you're stirred by what he's doing, if you're stirred to step boldly into that, I want to encourage you to lean in. If you're like, Sean, I want to start giving to this thing. Let's get on the move. Let's start making this happen. Go ahead. Here's the deal. The new worship or the, the new offering envelopes on the inside flap have a line in here. that says vision parentheses capital, vision fund. That's what this is for. This is where this is going for us to multiply and steward moving forward. If God's stirring you to be part of that already, go for it. We're still in the process of, of understanding the details and the plans, specifically the Erickson move. We've got some things coming. We'll be talking more. But if God's prompting you to do something, get in on it. It's bold moves of faith that are the catalyst to breakthrough moments. So be part of that. Jump in on it, even at this point. But wherever you're at in this journey, whatever you're thinking or what you've been doing, where you stand with God, the, the question that I think all of us have to wrestle is, is what would you do for more people to know Jesus? What would you do for more people to know Jesus? We are the church, and how we answer that question determines our effectiveness. So what? What do we do? How do we move this into a practical takeaway from this moment now into this coming week? Well, I just want to talk through three things. I'm going to do it really fast because they're kind of self-explanatory and they're pretty straightforward. But I think these are three things that we can all do to position us to continue to step with God. And the first thing is to wait well. First thing is to wait well. Remember, when God takes us to a place we've never been, it's often to make us into something we never knew we could be. So how we wait matters. So wait well, depending on him, remaining faithful to him. In Galatians, we can read this. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. This world can be a tough place and we can be tempted to give up, but don't give up. Wait well. Wait well. Press on. Next thing after waiting well, we need to choose obedience. Choose obedience. Jesus said... If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now again, that's kind of self-explanatory and straightforward, but this is where we avoid developing spiritual calluses. This is where we resist the temptation to resist truth and to not step in obedience. As we wait well and as we choose obedience, it positions us for more, and it positions us to do the third thing, which is to be bold. Be bold. Be like Bartimaeus. Cry out to him. Jump up. Run to him. Make the ask. Join me and the rest of the leadership team in crying out to God and asking him to do what only he can. Be bold. I think far too often we limit what God can do or we limit ourselves just in small thinking or in doubt. We think of ourselves as less than we really are, leaving us unwilling or unable to be bold in radical obedience. But Jesus has more for us than that. 
In fact, if we go all the way back to the Old Testament in Joshua, we can read these words. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. My friends, we are not alone in this. We're not chasing our own desires. We're chasing his desires. We're chasing him, and he is with us. And there is a boldness that comes from that reality. So ask by faith. Be bold in this new year. Answer this question. What's your next bold move? You have one. You're still here. What's your next bold move? It could be to actually, for the first time, give your life to Jesus, to surrender to him, to step from spiritual death to spiritual life. If that's it, take that step today. Don't let another day go by. If you've already done that, what's the next thing? What bold move of faith is he waiting for you to do so that he can do something more? It'll open a breakthrough moment in your life and the life of others. Be bold. Wait well, choose obedience, and be bold. When God takes us places we've never been, it's often to make us into something we never knew we could be. So as we begin to lean further into 2015, wait well, choose obedience, and be bold. Risk by faith. Sacrifice in obedience. When we do that, God shows up. And he does the miraculous. And I can't wait to see what he's going to do. He's done wonderful things in our 50 years to this point. But I firmly believe the best is still yet to come. And he is calling us to more. And he's inviting every single one of us on that journey. So let's wait well, let's choose obedience, and let's be bold and see what he does. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the opportunity to spend some time in your word today. I thank you for loving us in the midst of times when we haven't waited well, when we have disobeyed. And I thank you that our salvation is not contingent upon our performance, but upon what your son has done. That it is grace and grace alone. It is a gift. And I pray, Father, that those who have not received that gift today would do that in a conversation with you right now. And for those that have taken that step, Lord, may you continue to lead May we submit to you. May we wait well when we choose obedience. Help us not to resist truth and resist obedience. Remove the spiritual calluses. Let us live in a way that brings you honor and glory. Being bold, not in our power, but your power. Not in our strength, but your strength. And not in our ability, but your ability. God, you've called us to so much more than we often realize. And I pray that as you lead us into places we've never been, as you seek to make us into something we never thought we could be, May you be able to do that in and through us and not have to work in spite of us. As we wait well, as we choose obedience, and we stand boldly in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. I love you and I pray these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen.